Restoring the Metal Typeface of the New Zealand Chinese Growers Monthly Journal, which was an important publication for the Chinese community for more than two decades, is the task our next guest has set herself. Yao Wen Ho is a poet and research assistant for the Chinese Scholars Studio Project at Waiteata Press at Victoria University, Wellington. Since 2016, she's been cleaning and archiving the original Chinese metal type used to print more than 800 issues of the publication. We have a photo gallery on our webpage. Do check it out if you can, rnz.co.nz slash standingroomonly. She tells her story in the online video series Single Object, produced by the spin-off, looking at our past through material history. Yawen explains the journal's origins. The journal's history is one strand of the history of the Federation, Dominion Federation of New Zealand Chinese market growers. And the Federation goes all the way back to um, the Second World War. So Chinese market gardeners had informal organisations um, between themselves well before the Second World War, but it was around the time that the government really recognised how skilled and how apt um, the Chinese market gardeners were at producing um, green leaf produce. And they wanted to contract these market gardeners to provide to feed the armies. And at this point, they were like, well, we need to have a central body so that we may liaise with you for this contracting. And so it's around this point that discussions um, began of how and what kind of organization the Chinese uh, market gardeners wished. And they, um, at that point, founded the Dominion Federation of New Zealand Chinese market gardeners. And from that came the journal? Yeah, so that that founding was in 1943. And... um, they quickly realized that it was really important to have a means of communication between the market gardeners because they were scattered all over the country. You know, we had people down south, we had people in Wellington, we had people um, in Auckland and further north, all over the country. So they decided that a print publication was the way to do it. And therefore, in 1949 came the very first issue of the Chinese Growers Monthly Journal. And and what was in what was the tone and what was in that first journal? Well, over the long life of the journal, the tone of it shifts um, substantially. But the very first um, three years, it was actually handwritten. So the founding editor Dan Chan was working with the assistance of Chen Xiongnan, who assisted in writing out the copies in Chinese script. And also another Federation member, Wang Chunam, who assisted in running the Gestetner machine to actually cycle-style print these out in Masterton. Um, so for three years, they were handwriting out a master copy and then manually um, reproducing them. This was before the arrival of the metal uh, letterpress type. But um, Dan very quickly realized he wanted this publication to be a symbol of pride. He wanted people to really take pride in what they've achieved. And for that, he believed he wanted a professional-looking newspaper. So for that, he um, advocated for the purchase of letterpress type, and um, that was approved by the council, and they spent £4,000 on, um, and they imported a whole metric tonne of Chinese letterpress type from Hong Kong in 1952. So why did he choose that one? 
We don't know exactly why, but we do know that at the time in Hong Kong, there were a number of Chinese foundries who were casting letterpress type. But Universal Type Founders was the most well-known and they had a huge multilingual capacity. So they prided themselves and advertised, um, really promoted the fact that you could set Chinese type alongside English, that they had overcome some technical difficulties in getting these two languages to talk to each other, and they could provide you a seamless technical system so you could set bilingually. We think that this could be one of the reasons, but yeah, more research to actually find out how it is that Dan Chan chose this particular foundry out of all the options. And was the journal bilingual then? You said that was an opportunity, or was it entirely in Chinese? The journal is majority set in Chinese. You, we do see bits of English pop up for proper nouns, so the names of people and the names of places. And you also do see um, Pakiha businesses wishing to advertise to the Chinese market gardening community. So they'll provide an ad that's set in English and the journal editors, the board, will provide a translation. So you have these bilingual ads. In the documentary that you've made, yeah, when you have um, some really interesting interviews, I think, and one was talking about the significance of the journal. So mm. more than pure communication and, and you know, sharing stories and ads. Yeah. It was about building a stronger community. Definitely. Cycling bag, you know how we said the tone of the journal shifted? Well, it really started with um, horticultural news, but quickly became more. It carried political news from Hong Kong, China, Taiwan, actually much broadly, US, Russia, international political news. So like a newspaper. It was a newspaper. Yeah. And there was a lot of syndication of international news. People had a real appetite to stay up to date. But then in 1960, the um, New Zealand Ministry of Agriculture sent the journal um, a little reprimand that said, hey, uh, you are publishing far too much international political news. You said you're an agricultural journal, and also you're all New Zealanders now, so you really should be publishing local news. Uh, so after this, the tone of the paper shifted away from the political news and much more to local community happenings. And like this was always the case from the very beginning. You always had births, deaths, marriages. Um, you always had the community groups, you know, for example, you had the Chinese Anchor Commission advertising their movie nights or their dance parties. Um, you get to hear about the magnificent wedding attended by 500 people or like the national sports tournament and how Wellington had won the badminton or something like that. And then after 1960s, um, that kind of community building aspect expanded even more and a real strong representation of literature, people writing poetry, interesting, curious bits of short fiction, you know? So really, really interesting things. Well, well again, I mean, I think there were more, something like more than 800 issues. I mean, that's, that's a substantial number of issues, isn't it? That is a substantial number of issues. It was said that at the time, every Chinese household in New Zealand had a copy. So it really became the voice 
of the Chinese community in New Zealand throughout the 50s all the way to the 70s. Your research into the uh, into the typeface, I've, I've seen the saying that you're trying to restore the typeface. So what, what is your work in this area? I was brought on board um, in 2016 with the arrival of the types at Waitiata Press up at Victoria University. Oh, the original types. Yeah, so oh. um, it's a very, very some, like unique and um, unusual fact that the types have survived because we know that there are many diasporic uh, Chinese language newspapers out there in the world, but not that many of them, uh, in terms of the letterpress type that was used to print them, have survived. Um, we know that the set we've got, we're looking after is probably the only surviving set in Australasia. That's well, a big responsibility, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. It is. So we are very mindful about our role as kaitiaki um, of this collection. The very last issue of the journal was printed in August 1972. And the final editor, um, Lionel Chan, he was very adamant that the types are not destroyed, that the types are kept, that the legacy of the journal is remembered. So the type um, was stored in his home until circumstances meant the type had to be relocated and then through the market gardening network, it went into a shed on the premises of uh, a, a market gardening farm up in Pukekohe in Auckland. And then it stayed there for many, many decades until um, around 2007, uh, my supervisor, Dr. Sydney Shep, received a phone call saying, hey, some people were renovating their shed in Pukekohe and they've rediscovered this body of Chinese letterpress type, they would like you to go up and have a look to assess the condition, start a discussion of what shall we do to reactivate this legacy, to start telling the story of the journal again. So then that was a long process of negotiation until in 2016 on you know several big trucks and a pallet, this metric ton of type arrived at the press. And at that point, my most urgent task was to start with the pieces of type um, that fell out of the type case while they were in the shed. Because, you know, 30-odd years of storage, we're talking about um, wooden containers, type cases. There was loose type that had to be scooped out of the ground. And my first task was to look at these, to stabilize them. Some of them had corroded. And that was a lengthy process. I had to pick up each piece of metal. I put it under a microscope to take an image because that way I could see very clearly what kind of condition it was in. I would categorize into what kind of conservation treatment they needed. And I think I built up a database of over 30,000 images, pieces of type. So that's kind of come to a close. And now I get to work with that's only a small fraction of the metric ton. And now I get to do that similar process with the remaining metric ton. So you're smiling away there. This, I know. <laughs> you I love doing this. I love you? doing this. It's really, really meditative to actually spend time with the artifacts because um, even though, you know, there are many, many replicas of, say, one character, you know, how like to set a sentence in English, I need more than one letter E. I might need a whole handful of letter E's. The same it is for setting in Chinese. For that one character, I would need multiple pieces of type. 
But you can see the different histories just even within one character, like the character for Home. Some of them will have been used so many times over its 20 years that it'll be really worn and smooth and will have like a sort of roundedness to it. Whereas some of them will have never seen ink before. And with a light brush, you can reveal that really shiny metal that looks like it had just been cast yesterday. So it's amazing, like, noticing those patterns of use in each piece of type that I'm handling. When the journal ended in the 1970s, what was the story around that? Yeah, when was that end of funding or had times moved on or had publishing changed? Why, why did, after all that time and, and that <laughs> love, clearly, that, that yeah. the community had for it, yeah, why, did it, why did it come to an end? There was so much love and it was a very sad moment um, to let go of the journal. I think it was a combination of factors. There was declining membership uh, in the Federation as well as increasing production costs. And also I think its readership was changing because at that time, you know, people had a different view, like Chinese, New Zealand-born Chinese people were just living and studying and having their lives be in English. So like second generation. Second generation, third generation Chinese people. They recognized the value in holding on to their cultural heritage, but they didn't necessarily feel that um, holding on to the language was important to them or, you know, that it was necessary. So with the passing away of the older generation of um, Chinese readers and newer generation who sometimes, you know, couldn't actually read or interact or engage with this journal, um, its readership was changing. Yeah, so it had kind of come to a close at that point. I find it really heartening now that um, there's a a shift in how we view our um, linguistic identities as a part of our cultural heritage. And I mean, I can understand how it would have been a real challenge for parents in the 50s and 60s to impress upon their children why it is that um, it's important they go to Saturday language school. But I think now... I'm really glad to see that shift, that, that new appreciation. Like a renaissance. Yeah. Like today I went through as well. Yeah. Single Object has been made for the spin-off in association with Object Space and with the support of NZ On Air. Yawen Ho's episode about the New Zealand Chinese Growers Monthly Journal is available online from the 4th of May on the spin-off website.